Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. known fact about my guest today. Growing up, he obsessively watched movies with his sister and his family. He ended up going to college to play football, but all of those hours watching films combined with his experimental theater class while at UNC culminated in what has become an extraordinary career as an actor. Welcome Quentin Player to the podcast. A-OK. Hey everyone, my guest today is Quentin Player. At the time of us recording this interview, Quentin is starring in the Hulu limited series Welcome to Chippendales. He has also starred in the Showtime series The Good Lord Bird. He was on Roswell and also just completed filming with Katherine Hahn, another Hulu series, Tiny Beautiful Things, based on the author Cheryl Strayed best-selling novel, and it is produced by Reese Witherspoon. He's been on many other television shows, and he is always a fan favorite, everything he does. Welcome, Quentin Player, to the podcast. You've been in my in my uh, living room with me the last couple of weeks watching oh, really? you on Welcome to Chippendale, so thank okay. you. <laughs> it's so great to see you right now. I want to get into Welcome to Chippendales. But before we get to Otis, can okay. we go back a little bit uh, in the life of Quentin Player? Sort of, when did the arts come into your life? When did you know you wanted to be an artist? Can you just share a little bit about growing up and and what your dream was and how this all happened? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, uh, let's see. So I was an athlete kind of growing up. That was, that was, you know, more so what I did all the time, but I always loved movies. So me, and, and this was before before smartphones were really a thing and before, um, you know, even the internet was like widely available. Me and my sister, we had all the, uh, all the channels growing up. So I would literally, we just pick it out in the summers. Like, okay, we're going to watch this movie from whatever time to whatever time and then click over to this movie on this network and then this movie on this network and the way that we did it we just read the movie title and they had like a very brief description on basically your tv guide channel right right and uh and we would just watch so many movies and not really know much about them and uh and I just loved them I just came to love the medium of tv film uh I really think some of my closer familiar memories really come from watching things together uh and I just knew at a pretty young age that I wanted to be that for other families like that connective bonding type of thing um so yeah you know I I kind of planned initially I wanted to go to the NFL and then once I retired get into acting 
uh, found out, you know, very quickly, I was not good enough for the NFL. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, and just, you know, as soon as I graduated college, I, uh, got my first agent and then, you know, started the Southeast driving all over the place for auditions. And, um, and, you know, I guess now, what is it? Um, about a decade later, you know, here, so. Okay, so a couple of questions. Number mm-hmm. one, the the room you're watching these movies in, where did you grow up? Like, okay, oh yeah, yeah. So I'm from. I I grew up in Lawrenceville, Georgia. It's like little, uh, not a little, but it was just this great county called Gwinnett. Like literally, growing up, my county had the number one park system in the entire United States rated. So it was just like yeah. a great place to grow up. You know, your typical, I don't know two two kids at a white picket fence type of uh, all-american um place to grow up uh like i said georgia it's basically outside of atlanta like 30 to 45 minutes outside of atlanta um and yeah just like this nice you know uh neighborhood i knew a whole bunch of the kids in the neighborhood played basketball outside all the time uh rode my bikes around the uh, rode my bike around the neighborhood and stuff like that it was just a really great play had a pretty big yard a great place to grow up and uh, is your sister older or younger than you? She is younger than me. Alexis okay, so she's much your... more mature, but <laughs> she is younger. Yeah, but chronologically. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. Came after I you. did reach Earth first. Yes, although and... you can't tell. <laughs> okay, well, we'll 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 phone a friend later and have her weigh <laughs> in on on what kind of big brother you were. Um, yeah. but but what are some when you think back to those movies? Were there any that you like watched over and over again? Like, what were your favorite favorite movies growing a up? Million percent. Okay, so like both Sister Act one and two are the type of movies that if it is on, no matter what point it is on we as a family, at least me, my mom, and Alexis, I don't know too much about my dad, but we'll watch from then until the end of the movie. Like, just love that movie. Major Pain is another one like that. And actually, uh, well, you know, little known facts, my first, my monologue that got me my first agent agent was actually from Major Pain. Um, and let's see. Uh, I mean, there was other ones that I loved, like Waterboy was one that I loved. I loved Titanic. It was my favorite movie for a long time um and uh this one's a bit later but you know the the performance that i think might be the best performance i've personally ever seen was heath ledger and the joker um or i'm sorry heath ledger in the dark knight as the joker uh but yeah i mean you know just so many and i think and i think the real thing is that we tried on so we watched so many so i just had this like wide you know, knowledge of movies in general. And I still kind of keep that like pretty much almost it's hard now with everything streaming, but like most things that come out, I will see or have seen. So when you're obviously playing football and being a jock um, in certain (laughs) high school, there are these lanes. I mean, if you look at like high school musical, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can only play basketball or be in the musical and you can't do both. Was there any crossover for you in your life when you were in high school? Did you do a play? Did you do a musical or did this all happen later? You know, I I didn't. I, um, my high school was uh, very like kind of interesting so like while I did play sports you know being in the south being at a at a um you know pretty much predominantly white school in the south white Christian school as well um I wasn't the most popular and like I, I wouldn't fall in the traditional jock category um 
but also, you know, I felt like the drama club and, and that sector was also very niche. And so didn't fit in there either. You know, I remember me and my best friend who also played football with me um, would go to drama club and also chess club. And, uh, and when we were in the drama club, I remember us like sitting in the back, kind of like no one really talking to us, no one really like kind of being like, why, what are you doing here? You know, you're football players. Um, so I didn't really feel that accepted by the, by that community. Um, and that along with, you know, just being young, not fully knowing myself, kind of being nervous in a lot of ways. I didn't pursue it the way I wanted to and didn't pursue it the way I knew I loved it. Um, so yeah, so for me, it, uh, once I got to college, I did find this like really great group of people in my, um, major, which was com, uh, communications performance studies. And it was this great, just great group of, of people that really taught me so much about the world just in general. And, uh, and that was really my first time on a stage and the stuff that we did, it was like, you know, activism type of plays that we wrote ourselves that was much more metaphorical didn't necessarily have they did have some lines but not lines in the way that you would do a Broadway play or a Shakespeare or anything like that it was much more like with the body and, and movement and stuff like that and I feel like it just gave me such a different view into performing you know a very different first introduction into performing uh especially you know coming from an athlete background, this was a completely different world. Um, so I think college is definitely the first time I really got on stage and did that. And then after college is when I actually really started training a good amount and doing the TV film route and, you know, really building, you know, what it is I've, I've come to start doing today. Right. So did you go to college in Georgia? No, I went to the University of North Carolina, uh, okay. Chapel Hill. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so, so different. Yeah. Um, uh, than your high school experience in terms of just feeling welcome and that there was a place for you in that room and and space being made for you. For sure. And I, and I think also a lot of it has to go on me and the fact that, you know, I just was older, more sure of myself, more understanding of what I really wanted and more confident to actually pursue it. You know, right. I, I can't say that that group in high school wouldn't have accepted me if I hadn't have exerted myself more you know what I mean like I think yeah. it's a two-way street like did they maybe not go out of their way to be like oh come in try this da, da, da. Right. yeah but also did I make it very apparent that this is something I want to pursue also no right. so yeah I think it's a mix of the two like you yeah. know just coming growing knowing yourself and putting yourself out there which you know a lot of ways is what college is for you know? exactly did you play sports in school yeah, yeah. So I played football in high school for sure. And then I also played football in college. So okay. I, you know, primarily the reason I went to North Carolina was football, you know. That's incredible. Yeah, um, it, was, it was a good time. Yeah. So when you get out of school and decide in earnest that you are going to pursue the life of an actor, how did you even start? Like on day one, you get your diploma. Is your family excited about this? Are they worried about it? Sort of what was the collective thought process about yeah. it? My family has supported every single thing that both me and Alexis have ever wanted to do. And it's actually 
one of the reasons I'm so passionate about being um, a parent when that time comes is because of how right I feel my parents did it. Um, they, like, you know, when I was young, I wanted to be in the NBA and it wasn't ever, oh, you know, you probably can't go to the NBA, that's hard. It's all right, well, let's research how is the way to get there. When it sort of shifted to football, when it shifted to acting, it was always research, figure it out, how is it to get there? You know, even the times when I wanted to be a meteorologist or an astronaut, you know, that was still the, the case. Um, and so, yeah, you know, they were on board. They, um, they were very on board because they helped me in the beginning. I lived with my parents much longer than I should have after college pursuing it. And, uh, and there was nothing, there was never any negative thing. If anything, they were pushing me just further, like, no, because I would kind of feel bad, like, oh, you know, I'm college educated. I'm still in the, in the house with my parents. And they're right. like, well, look, you're going after this thing. Just keep yes. going. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I graduated uh, from UNC. So you graduated, you went back home to Georgia. I did, you know, but before that, there was this thing that I went and I had done it I think three times a showcase called Pro Scout. Okay. And it was a showcase and I know it was in the Southeast. I think it was kind of all over. I don't know if it still exists, but where agents would come. And if you were just, you know, anybody who was interested in either modeling and or acting, you would just go walk a run runway, like, you know, maybe 40 agents from wherever you were around would show up. And they had an acting division where you go on, you do a monologue. And that's where I did this monologue. And I had done it once in high school, didn't get any interest. Again, I think in the beginning of college, I got somebody interested, but it kind of fizzled out. And then this was my last time at it, you know, and, and it cost a go. So I was like, all right, I've done this. I've gone to school. Like, let's do this one last time. And, and it was kind of like my one last time, let's see if this acting thing is going to work out. And I went, found an agent who was out of Nashville and then me and her just started going after it. And I started driving between my place in Atlanta and Nashville and in New Orleans and all these places for auditions and uh, just slowly started building traction. So what was your first professional job? I think it was this, uh, it was actually while I was in North Carolina, it was this, <laughs> this movie called Trinity Goodhart. That's what the name of it, Trinity Goodhart. It was about this, it was this little girl and I can't even remember the plot of the movie, but I do know that I was <laughs> this bully to this little girl and me and this other guy who were both college age and this, this little girl, she's like 10 and she ends up beating us up in like us running away scared <laughs> like a college football player this 10 year old girl beats us up and runs away scared oh uh, and that was my one scene in the movie and I remember being all excited and going to the premiere and they cut my scene out of the movie and I and they hadn't like, told you first hadn't told me first and actually on that day I remember I had found out that my girlfriend at the time had cheated on me <laughs> yeah yeah had cheated on me so I'm I'm finding that out driving back from North Carolina to Atlanta and this is like right around when I graduated so I'm like all right it's fine the premiere was in South yeah. Carolina 
I get to the premiere. I'm all sitting down, ready to, you know, watch myself on screen. You're like, so I'll excited. show her. I'll yeah, show exactly. Her. Boom, cut out the movie. So then, so then I get back in my car, finish the drive to Atlanta. One of the worst days. And so, yeah, yeah, that was a tough one. But Oh, my God. Well, there have been many happier days since many then. Many happier days since, yeah. You know, I remember when uh, Good Lord Bird came out and... Yeah. and um, I had some other people from that show on the podcast and just sort of, you know, thinking about like sort of Ethan Hawke's place in, in that show and sort of starring in it and kind of what it was in terms of creating ensemble. Um, I thought that was an incredible series. I thought, you know, it really was unlike anything else. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I wonder if you can talk about, because then I think about Kumal, you know, the, the show you're doing now and sort of the mm-hmm. person producing it and starring in it and and the creator of the thing also being on set with you every day. And I wonder if there are similarities in terms of those two shows because of that or or no. Yeah, and obviously yeah. your part is so different in, in both these things. Yeah, but. yeah, no, it, it, it is different, you know, but I, I think looking at that, I think the thing is, is that when you're on sets like that, where where number one is also a a producer, um, they just care so much. And Kamal has just been, I mean, he has been one of the warmest people I've just ever met in general, especially from a you know person that you would consider to be your boss, and just made the set one of the closest sets that I've ever been a part of. And I, I've been pretty lucky. Like I haven't had a whole bunch of problems on set or at least I haven't felt them. You know, like I said, the Good Lord Bird was a very close set. I still have friends from that still in then, But this this particular Welcome to Chippendale set I think was even further than that and how close everybody was. Um, and yeah, and he, you know, a funny thing like, there's this movie from my childhood that me and my sister loved called Rockadoodle. And it was a um, animated movie that very few people have seen. And it's just this incredible animated movie. Just love it. These, these animals that are on a farm, there's this, uh, the Chanticleer, he sings, brings up the sun, but he wants to go chase his, um, his journey. So he goes to the city and becomes uh, like basically like an Elvis figure and they have to go get him back because the sun doesn't rise on the farm anymore. Right. And so that's, that's kind of the basis of a children's story. Incredible. So anyway, it comes up one day on set and, and I'm just telling everybody about this movie. It's months before the rap, right? And Kumail was listening. And so that's it happens one day, right? We get to the to the rap of the uh, of Welcome to Chippendales, and Kumail gives me this gift, and he's so excited, you know, and he's like, "Oh, let me know when you open the gift. Let me know when you open the gift." And I open it, and it's an original poster of this Rockadoodle movie that like was on, you know, in movie theaters, like at the actual theater where they have the poster up, where uh, you know you go in and it's showing you what's playing. It's one of the original one of those. He said it's like one of five hundred. He remembered months months later to get me this gift that meant so much to me. And it's huge, like a monstrous poster. And that just goes to show, you know, kind of the person he was when my parents came to the premiere, he spent so much time with them, so giving. And I think when you have those kind of individuals at the lead of 
productions, it just trickles down. Now, I think one of the things that I've heard and I've always thought is that the way number one is, is the way the rest of the set is. Yeah. And so you kind of take your, you know, your uh, cue from the lead. And I think, you know, when it, when that person really cares about what they do and, and Kumail, both Kumail and Ethan are that way, it just kind of, everyone else kind of follows suit, you know, and the people that they cast, they cast for a reason because they are people who also care. Um, and I think it just makes it, I don't know, it just makes it the comfortable kind of environment that you want to work in where everybody involved really, like I said, really cares about what they do, not just the actors, but the, the set, the production, everything. Right. Um, and it just, I don't know, it just makes it, it makes it that much better to go to work. And, and yeah, it just, you know, you want to do, do your work. best work. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You do, you know, you do good work. Had you seen The Big Sick? I had, you know, another crazy story. Um, when I was moving to Los Angeles, uh, I was meeting with managers. So this was actually in 2017, about in the summer of then, six months before I actually moved there. I'm getting there. I got there a little early. I had a meeting with uh, a couple managers, one I eventually signed with. And I'm like, oh, I'm in Los Angeles. You know, I finally make it here. I've wanted to move here since I graduated college. It's up on my little, you know, my uh, whatever board uh, <laughs> to get there. And I did you have this, a vision board? Was that it, do you work that way? It was you, it was it was kind of a vision board, but it was literally like a piece of paper where I wrote my goals and the time period that I wanted those goals in. Um, and I just you know stuck it on my little uh childhood room desk. So I saw it every day. I didn't like actually look at it every day, but it was just in my view every day before yeah. I left. Um yeah. and I and I went and I looked back and I had knocked out everyone on the short-term goals. Now I didn't get them in the amount of time, but I had knocked them right? all out. Incredible. Um, yeah. And so I'm in Los Angeles, somewhere I had wanted to be, wanted to move to. And I'm just like, oh, there's this like kind of artsy theater. And I'm like, oh, I got some time. I'm going to go watch a movie. And the first movie I ever watched in Los Angeles was The Big Sick. And um, so, and I loved it, loved it. It's just an incredible movie. And so I actually, I actually told that story when we were at the, um, uh, one of the panels we did for the first, uh, for Welcome to Chippendales, the first couple of episodes. And it was like, yeah, you know, one of those was like, oh, wow. You know, when I first got here, I was watching yeah. this man on screen and obviously I've seen Silicon Valley um, and now, you know, working with him and I think can call him a, a real friend, not just yeah. a industry friend. Is Emily his wife? I know they write a lot together, produce yes. together. Mm -hmm. Is she involved in the show as well? Yeah, yeah, she was a producer as well. And, and actually, I remember on one of the days, you know, she was kind of, we had a very improvisational type of set. But, you know, on one of the days, she had fed a few lines from my character to kind of try and stuff like that so yeah she was there on the days met her a few times she, she's great she's really great so she was on set as well yeah 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 and video village because covid makes it a little bit different on who could be on set and not but yeah right so that's what i wanted to ask so you were shooting this during covid filming protocols yeah for sure okay so first of all you are in a show i mean i i feel like for the one person who doesn't know, Welcome to Chippendales is about a, a male strip club that became very popular in the United mm -hmm. States in the 80s. It started on the West Coast. They're everywhere. They it 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 sort of 
created the bachelorette party excursion. <laughs> um, and, and this is sort of a fictionalized history of the show. Yes. And also there were a lot of murders that happened around founders and other people involved in the Chippendales organization. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of comedy, true crime, drama. I mean, it's all the things uh, loosely based in reality yeah. um, with, with some fictionalized dancers, um, but, but making up the ensemble of male strippers is yes. Quentin Player playing Otis just for yes. anyone who has yeah, not yet seen the show sorry and also this show will live forever and and it won't be on Hulu the day they listen to this because it may be four <laughs> years from now that they're capturing it so the person that I'm talking to Quentin today um is one of these strippers and in in researching you um I knew you were a football player and it also yeah. was out in the in the world that you had not been a dancer. And yeah. I find that astonishing um, because when you watch this, <laughs> that you had never been a stripper or a dancer yeah, no. of any kind um, is really incredible. So I think about what it's been for me as a as a as a performer to be in really vulnerable situations where yeah. no matter how great you feel about your body, it is a very different thing um, to choose, you know, how to expose yourself and for whom you want to expose yourself and suddenly to be on a set. Yeah. Um, and I'm picturing you guys in masks and nudity, like the whole COVID part of it also must have been like your G-strings and masks were probably the same size. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the mask was bigger. Um, <laughs> can you talk about the process of getting this job mm -hmm. and uh yeah, like how did you get this job? What yeah, did you yeah. have to go through as a non-dancer yeah. to get the role of a dancer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was uh, like the actual audition process was just like any other audition process. You know, it, there wasn't a dance component to it. We talked about it, and and I had, so it had was just scene work. It was just it was reading just scenes. Sides. Yeah, it was okay. just scenes. They didn't see me dance until I was actually casted. Um, and we, you know, we talked about it in the audition process, and I. You know, I think my understanding at the time of what Chippendale's dancers was, I wasn't as aware of how, you know, skilled these guys are, you yeah. know, so I thought it was going to be kind of like some, you know, almost posing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of how the yeah. first group of dancers was that Nick has. And are these self-tapes or because of COVID, are you auditioning yes. via self-tape? Yeah, everything has been self-tapes. I mean, like I've, you know, I've gotten, uh, obviously welcome to Chippendales and then tiny beautiful things and now you know I recently just got something else um and all of it has been self-tape hasn't been in the room even when you know I'm going to be Catherine Hahn's husband our chemistry read was you know just like this over zoom uh so it's, well, wait, it's definitely me, interesting let me just ask you something because the mm -hmm. self-tape has become the bane of all actors existence for the past couple of years uh -huh. some people love it because they feel they can control it and some yes. people feel like i i don't want to control it i don't want to be a lighting director or sounder like and and you are really successful at it you were by the way i called it the beautiful things during the um yeah, yeah, yeah. Read earlier yeah. apologies i read the <laughs> no book worries. i saw the play i, I don't even yeah. know why that happened but um do you have a, a understanding of what it is you are doing in your self-tapes like maybe you don't want to give the secret away but what is the secret there's <laughs> no, some secret yeah. sauce no. in here yeah i always think there is there's 
ample opportunity and space for everybody. So any okay. secret I get, I always tell anyway. I don't, anything I have, I won't call All it right. a secret. Share My the thing, secret. yeah, the reason that I have loved this particular, uh, I don't know, this particular time as far as self-tapes versus in-person is the thing that self-tapes did for me was make me the aficionado or the most knowledgeable person in the room about what I am doing. And so just that little bit of mental shift of, you know, when you're going into a casting director, at least the way I used to be, it's like, they're the person who knows the most about the project. So they're like, oh, do you have any questions? It just kind of puts me in a, a lesser point from right there because someone in this room knows more. When I'm going to a self-tape and I usually go to places to have them tape me or whatever, I'm the person who knows the most about this, you know? And so I'm setting it up. I'm doing everything I want to, no questions asked because there's no one to ask any questions. And I think that level of confidence has shown through in the tapes. Cause like, you know, I'll have a, an audition for something and like, if I want to be seated on the ground, and I remember I had an audition for this Emancipation movie that just came out um, with, with Will Smith. I was, <laughs> you know, I had put dirt all on my shirts, cut holes in it on my tank top. I had, you know, bought some rope and really tied myself up. And I was, you know, had done all this running. So I was sweating and all this kind of stuff. And I'm, you know, laying on the floor and I don't think I could really do that. Or even if I had gone to do all that, I would have felt nervous about doing that if I had gone into somebody else's room and that little bit of nerves would have right. shown through right. on my tape, you know? And so it's little things like that where um, you dictate everything. And also I dictate when I want the audition to be, you know, sometimes people call you and it's an early time. And me personally, like, I don't, operate my best early in the morning yeah you know it's just little things like that where because I dictate everything around it and I control all the variables I'm you know I know where I'm going to audition I know exactly how much time it takes there I know you know get there and it's the people that I work with I know how they work you know just a level of comfortability um and so for me it's just made the audition process so much easier from a stress anxiety point and put me in the seat of the confident one that I've just seen that it's been very beneficial you know for me personally and you don't do it at home you don't you go to a place you don't do self-tape in your own home. no I mean I I could uh I just find it easier and you know I found a few places that are kind of my go-tos that are very cheap and it yeah. just makes more it sense it works to just go to them who, you know, I have good relationships with these people. They work with me. They understand. Me. It just, it just has worked. It's just kind of like a nice friendship and not like, Hey, can you come, you know, take me? Yeah, it's just, yeah, you know, yeah. it just makes it that much easier. And do they light it? Is it sort of, is there a whole, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a so whole it, setup it looks and it good looks great. Too. Like it yeah. looks great. So yeah. yeah. All right. So sorry for that, but I just no, feel no, like no, no. everyone's having that conversation. And I thought like, okay, this is someone who it's been I mean, every project you're doing is like the creme de la creme it's, yeah, of, it's been a great of run, so. television right now. Um, mm. And I know film is is coming. Yeah, um, I hope so. So when you think about kind of you do the self-tape, they don't know anything about what Quentin will look like moving 
in the show you yeah. get cast yeah. are you ever reading with kumar like is it all just you self-tape or does it ever turn into so this this particular one was just me uh kumar i hadn't met him throughout the uh throughout the audition process now i know he had a hand in who was casting he looked at you know tapes and stuff like that but yeah this process it was me rob jenny was on it the uh casting director david rubin um who's a great He's a great reader. Uh, he actually casted Tiny Beautiful Things as well. Um, and so, and then the director, who was the director at the time, later Matt Shackman became the director. But uh, but yeah, it was just them. And it was a lot of, the thing that I loved about them, it was a lot of talking through it. You know, we were really, it almost felt like, especially on the second uh, second callback that we had, it felt more like we were finding the character together and talking about things that he would have and you know his backstory and stuff like that it felt a lot more like that than a audition per se you know it wasn't it wasn't like oh go perform now and i hope they like me like it was really talking through you know through what it was going to be and i and i just felt just felt more like i was already casted like i was already working things out with this people and i think that even more allowed me to take chances and try things because it wasn't like I was trying to please someone um yeah but that you're really collaborating the way yeah, you would yeah, exactly. when you're on set making For something sure. yeah mm -hmm. I feel like the most talented people make the audition process the most collaborative and respectful like there's something about allowing you to feel everything you're talking about which is ownership yeah, exactly. And, and maybe, and at the time you're like, I don't know, they might be doing this with four other guys. Like, who yeah, knows? For sure, but who for cares? Sure, but, but, it, but in my time, in my moment, I feel exactly. like I got the part. And, exactly. And in in your case, time. And it is yeah. your time and they're not rushing your time. Yeah. Like, yeah. You just feel like you can take it, do what you need to. Yeah. It's really. It's, so it's how did you handle um, the sort of, I mean, you're not nude, but you really are exposed yeah. in so many ways. How did you make peace with that or or maybe it wasn't complicated for you maybe you're not shy I mean I have no idea but even the yeah. least shy people mm -hmm. it's very different when you're doing it for that many people for sure you know I and I am a shy individual for the most part um but it wasn't it wasn't this big thing to you know the body portion of it the more for me was I just wanted to be good at that well all of it you know the acting and everything but I wanted to be good at the dancing part I didn't want to look um not confident I didn't want to look stiff I didn't want to look like why did they cast this guy you know I wanted it to just all work and then I think the great thing about Otis is that there's so much going on the times that he's dancing whether it's oh, I, you know, I finally have a job and I've been struggling all this time. And, you know, this is something I can now pay my bills or whether it's, okay, I've been at this a few years and now I'm being overlooked and, uh, and I'm being, you know, caged and I can't move forward. Oh, and also I'm kind of being exploited and, you know, we're doing very, very stereotypical, almost like blackface type performances. Um, and so there was just so much, going on and then and that's really what excited me to be able to do this thing that's just so much of your body and so uh so much exertion and all this but then have all this inner turmoil going on it was just a real challenge 
Um, but I was I was very nervous, you know, the first day in, in a, and it was primarily about the dancing. It wasn't even the stripping. I was nervous in the rehearsals when I wasn't even taking clothes off. Um, but man, the, the crowd, like the background was so giving and so, you know, pumped me up so much that I actually came to love those days. And I really was like looking forward to the dancing days. It was just, just a different level of energy, a different level of performative energy that I hadn't really experienced on set ever before. Um, it was such an incredible um, experience, just like out of the act, like as me as an individual to be on stage for that many people yelling and screaming in this kind of set. It was really just a beautiful, pal palpable thing, palpable thing. And are you testing like every day? Are you doing COVID testing? And is yeah, the I mean, we had, we, was it endless the testing going yeah, on? Yeah, we, we, we tested three days a week and like double rapid and double tested on days where, you know, like for people like me, we're getting touched and uh, you know, I think they call it intimacy days or whatever yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, we had a lot of testing. And was the cast and crew sort of all, where, where did you shoot Welcome to Chippendales? It was in Los Angeles. It was, it was um, a little bit outside of Los Angeles. I can't, I can't remember the name of the place, like 20 minutes north of North Hollywood. So could you live at home while you were shooting? Yeah, I was living at, I was living at um, my, uh, I had just moved back to Los okay. Angeles. I worked all of 2021 in New Mexico, but yeah, I was living uh, in just my apartment for both Welcome to Chippendales and Tiny Beautiful Things. Okay, so that's already in the can as well, Tiny Beautiful yeah, Things. Yeah, yeah, I literally, like, <laughs> it was close because my last day of Chippendales was the first day for Tiny Beautiful Things, so I went straight from uh, uh, Chippendales to Tiny Beautiful Things, and it was actually close on whether or not I was going to be able to do it availability-wise. I'm, I'm glad that it worked out. Luckily, it was Hulu to Hulu. Yeah. And they worked it out. But if it had been another network, I don't know. I may, I may no, not have been but able that's to. amazing. Um, tell us a little bit about Tiny Beautiful Things, how the book has turned into a, a filmed series, how, yeah. how, they, how has that, the story been adapted? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think uh, Tiny Beautiful Things, as it is, you know, it's Cheryl Strade's, uh, the advice column that she did, Dear Sugar, the anonymous advice column that she had uh, in New York, I believe. Um, it is, that is, you know, people writing in, looking for advice, her also sharing so much of herself and her own truths while giving that advice. The way that it's adapted, it's kind of taking a look at, and I think it's a fictionalized look, but a look at what an individual going through, you know, that moment in their life, as in kind of in being Cheryl Strait, you know, a, mo a moment where a struggling writer, a person who's just kind of honestly struggling in a lot of places in life has this thing that is really starting to get traction and she's helping other people. So it's really like a kind of behind the scenes look at the beginnings of an individual played by Catherine um, starting this advice column and starting to have success and starting to kind of find herself again and find her her voice, you know, through this medium of writing that she's always been great at. Um, but also what is going on in her personal life, what her backstory is fueling in the advice that she is giving to all these people that are benefiting from it. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's a very grounded, very real deals with what I think are just like kind of real life issues, you know, and not big over dramatized issues. You know, I think sometimes one of the kind of, um, I don't know if it was like a epiphany, but one of the things that really struck me as I was filming this just came to me. It was like, you know, sometimes it is just hard getting through the day. You know what I mean? And that's, it kind of feels like this show is, speaks to that in a sense, just like kind of sometimes it's just tough to get through the day and it just goes through some of those subtle, beautiful things you know that, that that really just are truths of of life well how thrilling to get to know that we're going to see you do yet another really yeah. compelling character yeah, um so. quentin what an exciting time for us to get to watch you and for you <laughs> to be you and and <laughs> yeah. Check off all the things on that little piece of paper on your childhood yes. desk. How incredible. What a thrill to get to talk to you today. You're just oh, really? the most beautiful actor. Thank you for your work. and Thank you so much. The integrity with which you fulfill all of these characters. Um, it's just astonishing. And uh, before I let you go, is there a little known fact that you can share? Yes. Okay. So um, a little, little known fact, and it's known much more by my family, but um <laughs> as a kid growing up and still kind of to this day the way that I wanted to die was inside of a tornado and the reasoning why my two favorite phenomena um, are black holes and tornadoes I just love them um and like the nearest black hole you just can't get to you know what I mean and so I would love to see what an event horizon looks like and what it looks like to go inside and essentially if if theory is correct exists forever because it just you know you just get your all the anyway all that stuff about black holes but i really am so intrigued on what is inside of a tornado you know so like you see twister which once to our earlier conversation one of my favorite movies growing up you see twister they strap themselves in there's a uh, lightning bolt in the side and everything you know twirling around and so knowing that that's a movie, probably the only way you can see what's inside of a tornado, you're probably going to die. You're probably not going to make it out. And so, yeah, like I just, you know, if when I'm like 80, 85, 90, what, 95, whatever, something like that, if that was the way I had to go and I got to see what was on the inside of a tornado, I would not be, uh, I wouldn't be too, too upset. I'm sure it would be extremely painful death, but, you know. But it's yeah, such that a, a, that's a, it's such a meta bucket list moment, right? I know, like, right, right. The like bucket the list thing, is now done. How you die. <laughs> My bucket list is how one day. Um, well, I hear, I mean, speaking to both films you loved as a kid, I just heard that they may be, you know, they're constantly thinking about a sister act three. So yeah, there I've may be space that. for you in that. And hey, they're maybe. looking at another Twister movie. So really, I am not your manager, but if I were, <laughs> I'd be making a call right now. Um, Quentin, have the greatest day. Thank yes, you, you too. so much for being here. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Oh my God. Me too. All right. See you soon. All right. See you soon. Bye. Bye. One more thing, I keep getting emails asking how to donate to the podcast. 
First of all, thank you in advance. You are the kindest humans. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. That is where you donate. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you.